This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash richtakeonsports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews, hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? This is episode 46. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Now, over the years, the style of play in college basketball and in the NBA has changed with player versatility ever increasing. But for the traditionalists out there, you'll remember the role of the big man or the traditional center gets all the points in the paint, the block shots, and just being that anchor on the low post. And our guest this episode is just one of those guys, and that's Sharon Wright from Macon, Georgia. Sharon was a McDonald's All-American coming out of high school in 1991 and surprised many when he signed to play at Clemson University under head coach Cliff Ellis. Now, he was a two-time All-ACC selection and is now a member of the Clemson Athletic Hall of Fame, a Little John legend, and was also selected as an ACC legend in 2012 and a member of the Macon, Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. His NBA career started in 1994 as the sixth overall pick by the Philadelphia 76ers, earning NBA All-Rookie second team, but a car wreck in 1997 changed his NBA career due to significant injuries to his left arm. And now I followed Sharon's career because we were at Clemson together with the basketball team. And one of the things that I always found so fascinating was his role in the iconic basketball movie Space Jam with Michael Jordan. And knowing that Space Jam 2 is in production with LeBron James, I had to ask Sharon how many times did people not believe him when he told them that I was the blue monster in the original Space Jam movie. Yeah, yeah, that's something crazy, I tell you. I, I tell people that all the time. And, and you know, and they don't believe me until uh, they go and see the credits when they roll the credits and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, what happened with that was uh, I was, all, I was uh, when I got drafted early, I was, uh, I had always been uh, good friends with Juwan Howard. And we were, we were, the, I mean, we're still very good friends. And we would, uh, we had, um, uh, David Falk as an agent, which is Michael Jordan, Ewing, all the Georgetown guys, uh, like I said, myself and, and Juan and Iverson or whoever. And we were, uh, so we were privy to all those roles, uh, on the first, uh, Space Jam movie because of Michael. And so, uh, I got a chance to do that little blue monster and did some other things and, uh, it just worked out. And it was actually a lockout short in years. So we were playing basketball. All day, and if we weren't we weren't filming, we were doing that. And uh, hey, I still get a royalty check for that every year, man. Every 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 uh, couple times a year, so I'm I'm loving that. That is fantastic. So now, how did you get connected with David Falk, though? Uh, through a guy named Fred Whitfield, who's also who's now the CIO, really the CEO of the of the uh, Charlotte Hornets. He at that time uh, was on his, you know, just starting out and. Uh, uh, he reached out, and, and uh, it, was, it was his first assignment 
to sign Sharon Wright coming out of Clemson on a top five pick, top six pick, and he had to sign sign Sharon Wright. Now what what he what he figured was okay. Sharon Wright's uh, one of his best friends is Juwan Howard from Michigan, so he said okay, well let me try to get both of those guys, and it just happened that we both signed with him, and he's, his career started out really well from that standpoint. But And then, of course, you know, if you're with David Falk Associates, you know, you kind of, Falk Associates, you kind of get, you know, you get invited to things and, you know, all the other things that's going on. Well, at the time, I mean, David Falk was the super agent of the NBA, and that was well documented. And yeah. still considered one of the greatest agents in all of sports. Now, so speaking of some other signings and just recently in the news, is that your son, Sharon Wright Jr., signed with Wake Forest to play with Danny Manning. So how did you balance those emotions of having your son sign a Division One scholarship, but it's also a rival ACC school? Yeah, that, Richard, that, that is something that uh, I'm still getting a little flack for. <laughs> you, know how us, you know how we are at Clemson, you know that is. Uh, but it, you know, he was offered by, by Clemson, uh, as a ninth grader. Um, he, he, you know, he's what, six, six, uh, combo guard. He can play point. He can play two. And I never said, okay, you're going to Clemson. I mean, he never, it was never like that I, because like there's a big shadow over him if he goes there. And we had seen that with my daughter, Justice, who, who is at Auburn now, but she was at Clemson first and playing very well. But it was just, it was a lot of pressure. Um, well, your dad was this, your dad was that, your dad was this, your dad was that, and it just it kind of snowballed out of control, I think, a little bit. And and then plus we uh, they weren't winning very much. So it that with with Ron, you know, I I never forced him to do anything. He he liked Brad, he liked Steve Smith, he liked you know uh, the, the staff and all that. But I I just think what happened with that is you know he loved loves Danny. Uh, he loves Randolph Childress. The Randolph Childress is really one of the best recruiters in the country, and that's what happened with them. You know, having a relationship with Danny and Randolph and Steve Woodbury and uh, those guys, it helped. But uh, for him to choose uh, over, you know, a bunch of this ACC and SEC schools and go uh, go to Wake was something big. And I thought, you know, just the, the way he can come in and have an opportunity to play would be great. So going forward, you know, it, it worked out. But I tell you, the Clemson people, boy, they, they were not happy. <laughs> I can imagine. Because obviously you had a, <laughs> a, a fantastic career at Clemson. And I can imagine during that signing day for your son and even for your daughter several years ago, uh, Justice, that it probably brought up memories of your signing day. And so let's go back to some of your memories and what was some of the first memories that you had as a child and why you got into sports? My dad played, uh, uh, won a state championship um, uh, at Northeast High School in Macon, where I'm from. And then, you know, I, you know, I, I just was always around the game. I, I loved the game from an early on time. And I, and I was very uncoordinated, so I was not really picked on, but I was a kid that, you know, you would never think would be, you know, pretty good. I, I had to battle – Everybody, because I was a lot taller than some of the other kids, but I was uncoordinated. And I couldn't, you know, you know how it is when there's that time, you got to be clumsy, you know, you're a clumsy kid and you want to get, you know, get right. So, uh, what made me, uh, pursue the game in that way when I fell in love with it was, uh, just, just, uh, Big Monday. You remember we had Big Monday back in the day? I do. Watching, watching Eldon, you know, watching Eldon Campbell, watching, 
you know, some, you know, Horace and Harvey and those guys and, and just, you know, um, wanting to, to, to be like them. I mean, I had, uh, some good relationship with some, some guys. Um, my mentor was Dan Roundfield, who was my AAU coach for the, uh, for Team Georgia and, uh, played, he played for the Hawks and he was just a great guy. He died, he died, uh, five, six years ago and, you know, but Danny was, the guy that kind of pushed me in the Boston shootout I played in, I got MVP. So as I got older, I started getting pretty, pretty solid. And before you know it, I was a McDonald's All-America. And it, it's something that, you know, I'll always hold on to. Just the way that I got involved in the game, obviously, you know, playing on a powerhouse team nationally, that helped. Now, you're obviously highly recruited at that time, and you yeah. choose Clemson. Yeah. And historically, you know, Clemson is not a place that McDonald's All-Americans go. But during your time, there was a little mm-hmm. bit of run under Cliff Ellis that there were some guys choosing Clemson. And I know you had a tough choice uh, between Clemson and Duke and some other schools. So what was it about Clemson then that made you choose Clemson over especially a school like Duke? Well, I think I think uh, the biggest thing about between Clemson and Duke and Florida State and and Syracuse and Louisville teams at you know UCLA that really wanted me to be there, uh, being highly recruited was nothing new to me because I had I had teammates you know like Eric Manuel or, or Aubrey Boyd or Ivano Newby or guys like that before me that I kind of saw the recruiting process so I, it never it never made me alarming. I think the biggest thing that made me choose Clemson. It was pretty much Coach Ellis. He he was like a father to me. Crazy story is uh, I wasn't even gonna visit Clemson. So Coach said, "Okay, well, I, you know, I want you to take this take this last visit, you know, and enjoy it and all that." I was like, "Nah, I'm not gonna come," because I had already had four visits at the time, so I only got five. So I said, "Okay, I'll visit." And truth be told, man, I never went home after that. I never went. It was just. No, and you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's I something do. about Clemson that you just, yeah, it, it's something. It's something. It, it's it's a mystique that we have, and you know, and you can look at our football team. You can look at how we got players from all over the country, but when they go there, it's just something about it. And you know, it, I mean, the highly the, the five star kids like I was and all that, we already been to Louisville, we've been to Syracuse, we've been to Duke, but when you go to Clemson, man, and you 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 come from an inner city inner city environment. You love the way it's structured. You love the people. You love the ambiance of Clemson. You love it. And uh, I had never been anywhere like that. It, it was just, it was magical. And, you know, I, I, I when I got off the plane, there was Donnell Bruce, who you know. Oh, yes. And then there was uh, Dale, and Dale Davis. <laughs> so Dale, Dale gets me off the plane. Hey, man, you know, you're not going to leave. I'm like, man, I'm going home on Saturday. Stop playing with me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So we hang out. You know, obviously we go to TDs and, and so, you know, all that. But, yes. but when we, when I got a chance to be alone with them, they explained to me, you know, the feeling that I had. I had a certain feeling. And they explained what that feeling was. And, and you know, like I know my talent-wise, we're going to win games. We're not win a national championship. But we're going to win games. But what about other times? You know, when you when you have, you know, there's a family feeling and stuff like that, and you, you really love the place. It, it's just there's just no place like Clemson in the whole country. And I would I would tell anybody that, and and that's kind of like what happened. I, I said, hey, you know, that last day, I said, hey, give me a pizza, and then leave me alone. I'm all right. <laughs> you know, they didn't have to show me, you know, anything more. I had I, I was sold, and it shocked a lot of people that I I chose Clemson uh, over you know over Georgia Tech and Georgia and whoever, 
And, but, you know, if you go to Clemson and you spend some, a significant amount of time there, you'll understand. That's right. I agree with you 100%. And I remember, you know, being part of the team when uh, you made that announcement, and that was a huge announcement uh, yeah. at, at the time. Uh, I yeah. definitely remember that. And since there was so much attention, did you have any difficulties from a pressure standpoint of living up to certain expectations as this McDonald's All-American? I, I did, uh, mainly because, you know, my dad passed away on the day that I signed with Clemson, on the very day. Uh, so it was it was really dramatic and really heartfelt. And, you know, I kind of carried that on my shoulder a little bit. You know, obviously, you know, I'm coming from an inner city family where we don't have much. And so, um, you know, my whole thing uh, was I was being pushed to go pro. And I knew, like, there are certain things I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to lead the country in block shots. I got that. I wanted to lead the ACC in statistical categories. I did that three times. You do things, you have to, you know, lofty goals. And I think the biggest thing that helped me, and you, you, I mean, you would know this because they were your teammates, is I had a great relationship with Eldon and Dale. Like they, they were always really great guys. And Eldon can be a little jerk sometimes, but, but Dale is just generally, you know, a great guy. And so I had a great relationship with Marion Cash. I had a great relationship who, with Kirk and Howling and, you know, uh, Donnell Bruce and, and Ricky Jones and guys like that. So when I came to Clemson, and they were all gone, but they, you know, they still just kind of kept at me. Like, hey, Dale Car- the same way I'm doing now with Eli- Elijah. I-, I send him a tweet every once in a while. Dale will send him one. Like, hey, Elijah, Elijah Thomas, hey, man, do this better. Like, we got you. We love you. Things like that. I was, I was, I was that guy at that time. And so I got a chance to, to be very, to join a brotherhood from Tree Wildens to Horace, uh, to Moose Campbell, to, Horace Wyatt, Chubby Wells. I mean, there are a lot of guys that I could call up, or David Angel. They all, all those guys were really cool, man. They were great. Uh, Colin Abraham, Colin Abraham. I, I, I joined a brotherhood that, that, uh, that's, that's like no other. So, uh, any, any deficiencies I had in terms of my mental aspect was quelled. It, it was, it was like, okay, well, we got you. And that helped me out a lot. And going back to your signing day, which should have been one of the best days of your life, and you had to deal with this tragic situation of your dad dying on that particular day. So how were you able to you know, somewhat overcome that and maintain a positive outlook even before you got to Clemson? You know, I, mean, I had a great family, you know, and, and that, you know, my dad wasn't around very much anyway. So it doesn't, you know, me having a relationship with him when he finally got out of jail and stuff like that was that was a plus, but at the same time, throughout my life, I had my brother, I had my mom, I had my aunt, my grandmother, you know, my family extended. I had that. So, uh, but I think one of the things people forget is when you sign on the signing day, you still got some games to play in high school. So, you know, I, I had to get through that to go through that. But once I got to Clemson, man, Coach Ellers and Coach Harris, those guys, I mean, you know, Coach Gordy, they, we had a great staff. I, if I didn't have those guys, man, it would have been crazy for me. Uh, that first year uh, was very because my grandmother died that year. You know, uh, that year my my mom, my dad's mom died right right as soon as I got there. So I had lost my dad, and then I lost my grandma, who was a really sweet person, and she had a massive massive heart attack. So, like right then, I think we were in the middle of the year, not to deal with that too. You know, and and it just. It just starts snowballing. So that's like, again, like that's when I would call Chubby Wells. You know, I, I would call Dale Davis. So I have, 
you know, I have uh, one of my high school mentors. I have, uh, you know, even I tell you what, I mean, I, I used to talk to, to a bunch of the football guys. I talked to Coach Coach Howard all the time. Frank Howard, I would talk to him. I talked to, you know, Bill DeAndre, who you know. Oh, yeah. Um, I had a good relationship with those guys. You know, so when I was feeling it, you know, something like that, I, I had a chance to, to talk to different people. But, you know, there was nothing like going to Coach Ellis' house. And he'll put some steaks on the grill or something. We'll sit and talk. You know, he'll say, oh, you know, well, hey, you know, this is, you know, tell me what's going on, you know, whatever. Chris Whitney and I would just, you know, we would we would go over, or we would we would have, sit in the office with him, and you know, we'll talk. You know, Coach Ellis, man, is a different guy. You know, sometimes he's just different. You know, he he he. The one thing I can say about Coach is that, and I'm gonna tell you a story, Richie, on it. it, it it's a PG story. Okay. <laughs> but it's we, we. I was never, I was never left out in terms of, uh, you know, if I could count on him. Because he and you know, Coach, he's a different guy. Coach Ellis is different. He just he's he's quirky. He's you know, and I I call him corny sometimes. He's just the best. of like for me, uh, and then going to that story, we were Andre Bovane and I, who uh, he, me, him, and Chris Whitney were together last night at the Hornets game because Chris works for the Hornets. So we were at the game last night, and we were talking about that same situation. Uh, the year Chris went pro and got drafted by the Spurs. Uh, Andre and I and uh, Devin Gray and that group, we were we got into a fight with some uh, Omega Sci-Fi fraternity guys, and we ended up we you know we ended up getting in a big time fight. And I actually was uh, hitting some guy, and, and um, I had some mason. I sprayed mason in his face too, and some of it got on the cop, you know, and the cop. So they arrested me and Andre and Lou Ritchie and that group. Man, I made one phone call, man. One phone call, and he was there. And then we had a big meeting, and he said, were you protecting yourself? I was like, yeah, I mean, these guys were, you know, trying to fight us, you know. So he was like, well, I'm not going to worry about it then. That's what he said. So, I mean, like, in over the years, you know, I've, I've had some health, health scares and things. Mm-hmm. Coach is cool, man. He was always there. And I'm going to give you another example as well. We lost Devin Gray about six years ago. Yeah, that was maybe more. terrible. Terrible. Tough time for all of us. Uh, and it's hard for us to talk about that. We mean, like I said, me, Andre, Devin, Lou, Richie, all of us. You know, we, you know, we we just we have a we have a beautiful bond. You know, Devin was one of Donnell's best friends. Uh, Devin was good friends with Dale. Chubby Wells damn near raised Devin. You know, uh, and so and Devin and I were roommates at one year, and we, you know, so when it came time to do some stuff with the funeral, you know, I was I was the uh, the assistant coach for the Jamaican national team at that point. And we were in Venezuela. And when it, when all this happened, when Devin collapsed and then, uh, you know, he has great, you know, his family and the Wells family, people who raised him, you know, I'm sure they could have come up with it, but coach Ellis helped with that. You know, he, he, he helped with that. And he, he just, you know, he, he's just a wonderful guy, man. When it comes to stuff like that, uh, having your players back. And let me tell you, he didn't have the best relationship with Devin. But he loved him enough to, you know, like, hey, that's one of my players, and he passed away. Let's see how we can help. You know, that's 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 the other side of Cliff that people don't see like, about Cliff. He, he's just one of those guys, man. I can call Cliff right now and say, Coach, you know, I need this, or if I was down on my luck, or if if I needed him to to vouch for me for something, he's gonna do it like quickly. And he that goes for every guy that's ever played for him, whether you had a great relationship with him or not. 
it doesn't matter to him. Did you have that type of relationship with Coach Ellis, a good relationship uh, at oh, the yeah. time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you another quick story, man. So, Richie, so we we had this guy who was a uh, – remember Gary Wade? You know, Gary Wade oh, was yes. a street guy. So they hired – yeah, they hired they – hired, so Coach Wade hires this one guy named Jeff Fish. Like, so we like Jeff and all that. So Jeff had us doing some new age stuff. Like, okay, we're going to run here. We're going three miles, five miles. All this stuff. So you know, you know, I'm not doing it. You know, I'm like, man, I'm not doing that. Or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so he goes like, yo, he, so we have a meeting, and he says, uh, and we're and coaches in there, and all we're there. So we're finished running one day. We have a meeting. So he says, uh, you know what, Sharon, right? He's not running. He's not making his times. He didn't make the two, three mile. You know, he needs to be kicked off. And Coach L said, wait, wait just a damn minute. <laughs> uh, we ain't going to be doing no kicking off. Now, now, he, now he, you know, he was, hey, that, that one right there, no, 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 that's, hey, we're, we, we, we're not going to kick him off now. He, let's, let's be realistic here. And Jeff had the reddest face after that. Jeff couldn't say anything. Of course, I'm in the back like, nah, 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 like, I was like that. <laughs> and all the guys were laughing at him because he was like, you know, you know what, you're going to, you know, da, 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 da. and they was like, ah. Uh, so I was sitting there like, I told you so, man. You can't mess with me like that. But it was funny, though. That's the type of guy Coach was. You know, he, he you know, we, we won a lot of games, and he just, you know, and I, I don't have to tell you, you know what kind of guy Cliff is, man. You know, when I, I went into the ACC Legends Hall of Fame thing, and uh, I had to speak on, on uh, Coach Ellis couldn't be there. So uh, Dave Odom was there. He's one of his best friends, and Coach Odom, uh, talked about, you know, me and, and the relationship I had with coach. And that is just one of those moments that I'll never forget, uh, going into that class, but also the fact that, you know, I, I have the blessings of coach because he just, he meant a lot to me. It was very hard. I, uh, but you know, here it goes. Cliff was integral in that too. And here's the other story. I'm going to tell you why, but I'm going to give you the story real fast. So we're, no, I'm going to tell you, the, I'm going to tell you why first. It was hard because of the relationships that we had. I feel like Devin would still be here if I didn't go pro because he always, you know, marched by my drum. Like, okay, well, Sharon's doing this. I'm going to do this. You know, I think he got a little bit, things got a little bit out of hand with him. Uh, he had just had a, a, sm- a small heart attack at that time. The day that I left and announced he did. And then, you know, I, I would have, you know, I would have made sure he was okay. I, you know, because I, I knew him. And uh, I just feel like, you know, uh, we would have won a lot of games, obviously. But I think that, um, uh, when when I knew that Cliff, because I had a meeting with Cliff, and he said he wasn't going to come back. He that was his last time. They were giving him rocking chairs and things like that. Like, hey, go figure. He's won 800 games, and you know now you're giving him that at that time. He only had like 500 wins. But again, uh, I think that, like I said, the family atmosphere and the, my friends. Uh, I felt like I was leaving a lot, you know, at Clemson. And I, obviously, you want to go with the money and the prestige and the you know, getting drafted and you're planning and doing something that you ever, that's your dream, you know, that's your dream and you want to do that. But I think leaving Andre, leaving, leaving Devin, those guys, you know, who we came in together and we did things together. Uh, I had a lot of football players that I was friends with, you know, Wayne Simmons and, and, and a bunch of those cats, you know, Brian Dawkins. And so, you know, there's that too. There's a lot, you know, uh, and to be quite honest with you, Richie, the demographics of Clemson helped that helped me feel that way because, you know, uh, it's, I think it's what 60 to 70 percent Caucasian, and then you're talking about uh, another percentage Asian and Indian, 
And then there's the African-American, you know, was very small. So all the African-American kids, we knew each other. You know what I mean? We we went to the same thing. We went to the student union. We did the fraternity stuff. We did the parties and things together. Not not being segregated or nothing, but just that, you know, you, you, you know all of the guys who are African-American. You know all the girls that were, you know, African-American. You do that. So so it was just like that. And so you, you kind of missed the partnership, not the partnership, the camaraderie you had with everybody. And again, it's a special place. But let me go into the story real fast. I think we had played, I mean, we were in NIT that year, and uh, we had won like three or four games. So one more game, we're going to go to the Final Four in NIT. Uh, we played against Vanderbilt. That was when Billy McCaffrey was there. He came from Duke. Remember that? Yes, Billy McCaffrey came. Sure do. And went to Van, Van, the Vandy. So we, so we get ready to uh, stuff on the grand guard it comes up to me and he says, Ron, uh, and you know, every time Cliff really means something, you know, he'll always, pre- pre- the, the prelude to that is like the word shit, you know. So, you know, you, you already know he, he's like serious when he does that. So he, ah, you know, Ron, like, you're going to go pro after this game. I was like, huh? <laughs> like, I am? And he was like, yeah. I was like, but coach, he said, butt my ass, you know it. And I said, <laughs> We're in the locker room now. There's like ESPN people in there and everything. I'm like, uh, okay, coach. Uh, at that time, I hadn't really figured it out. You know, I didn't know if I was going or not. I knew the mock draft had me at like six, you know, seven. I was, you know, I know it was going to be a top ten pick, but you know, at that time, you know, it wasn't like you're going to get a hundred million dollar deal. It was nothing like that. So you were either going or you weren't. But uh, you know, he just he had a great relationship with me and my mom. And his his wife had a good relationship with my mom as well. So uh, obviously they've been talking. I haven't even talked to anybody yet. So he's like, "Shot, uh, you know, you're going pro, and, and we're not even thinking about that, you know." And the thing was, coach was leaving too, so he yeah. didn't want me to play for nobody else. And that's what. And so that was that was like hilarious, man. And so I, I announced after that, you know, I had already talked to some agents and stuff at that time, but you know, I hadn't sent any money or anything like that. But just I had talked. And I'll never forget that, man. So my decision doing that, Richie, was, uh, you know, I think it was made before I even knew it. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. Now, and then of all yeah. things, you get drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. And I know Moses Malone is a guy that you watched growing up. So how was that yeah. now yeah. getting into the NBA and, of all things, with the Philadelphia 76ers? Yeah, I my, my my aunt Grace lived there, uh, and in the summers, you know she would she would come to, to Georgia. She would uh, bring me back Philadelphia '76 gear and stuff. You know my aunt Grace would, and she would say, "Okay, well you know we got Moses Malone. You know she knew all the players and stuff." And then I would you know I'd let her know I love Moses Malone just the way he played. Not that I kind of patterned my game out to him and stuff like that. You know meeting him uh, when I first got into the NBA. Uh, at the press conference and stuff was really great. But that, you know, just being drafted by the team that made Moses famous, I was, it was a blessing, you know, and I, I felt real good about uh, going to war with Clarence Weatherspoon, Sean Bradley, Dana Barrows, uh, and later on, you know, Derek Coleman, uh, Stackhouse, uh, you know, that, that group. We were really special guys. I mean, they helped me out a lot. Uh, one of the things about playing uh, in the NBA, you play either you're going to play on a, a a young team or a veteran team. I was fortunate to play on a veteran team, so I didn't ever go. You know, I didn't waste money. I didn't, 
you know, I, I knew where, I, where to get my dry cleaning. I knew where the restaurant to eat. I knew to stay away from this person or this girl or that girl or this guy. You know, I knew because I had veterans on my team, Jeff Gray or Jeff Malone. Uh, you know, I had guys like that that had already been in the league for a long time. And, and it just, you know, I, I was blessed. So was it more difficult transitioning to the NBA off the court than it was on the court? Oh, definitely off the court. On the court, you just play ball. You know, you, you know your skill sets and you play. Uh, you know, some of the – I think playing the ACC was – that was a person to me just learning the game. I mean, I came right out playing well because I had been in the NBA, in the ACC. The ACC prepares you for pro ball. There's no doubt about it. You know, but I think the biggest thing, like I said, was was uh, time management, things like that. So those were the difficulties. You make the transition now to the NBA and you have a really good rookie season making the NBA all-rookie second team, but then you get traded to the Toronto Raptors. And how did that trade come about? Uh, that was organized way before because I I played on the uh, World University Games team with Damon Stoudemire. We were friends since high school, and we had a great relationship. And he calls me up and says, you know, hey, man, I, I'm going to – I'm going to get Isaiah Thomas. I'm going to get Isaiah to try to see if we can trade for you. Are you happy? I was like, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'd like to play on a, on a younger team because now, you know, we, I could st- I started to see a lot of the stuff that, that it was not helpful in Philly, you know, in terms of, you know, a couple of guys with drug issues, things like that. I didn't want to be a part of that. So, uh, I said, yeah. So one night we played Indiana and, uh, we got killed. And uh, Coach was mad. Coach Lucas was mad. And he said, anybody want to be traded? And I said, I do. And uh, and the next day, I was gone. Wow. So they, they had already worked out something and, and all that. But but I did call Damon and tell him that, hey, man, I, I need to. You know, I need to get out of here. So with Coach Lucas there, uh-huh. was that – I mean, was that a very tense situation that – is he mad at people and basically trying to call people out and say, oh, hey, no. if you want to be traded, get out of here, no. and you no, raise no. your hand and say, yeah, I'm yeah. ready to be traded? Yeah, but that but that stuff is – that stuff comes every night. You get that every time you don't play well. You know, uh, I think it just happened that night that I was like, okay, well – because most times nobody would, would actually raise their hand. But this time I did, and I think – but no, it wasn't a it wasn't a toxic environment at all. John Lucas was great. He, he drafted me. I love him to death even today. Uh, we had some really good people in place. People in place when you know when you think about Motiques or or George McGinnis or World Be Free guys like that had those guys in place. So that if it was off the court or on the court, you were already ready. Uh, you had to you had options to deal with that. So I I don't have any. Anything bad to say about that situation, but I do, I do remember why I wanted to be traded now. And I think I needed a better environment. Um, I wanted to play with Damon, obviously, because you know. Then I was friends with Walt Williams from our ACC days, so I felt like you know that that was something that we needed. I, I wanted us all to play together, you know, and, and we drafted well in Toronto and stuff like that. So I just felt like it was time. I had been there two years, and, you know, it just. I could see where we weren't going anywhere. It wasn't going to do anything. I wanted to win, and I wanted to, you know, and, and Luke was having, you know, I think we all were having some communication issues. But it worked out good for them, and it worked out good for, for me with the Toronto Raptors. 
you get a fresh start with Toronto and you're having some success individually and even from a team perspective, but then you're involved in this serious car wreck that ultimately changes your NBA career path in the summer of 1997. So can you share what happened that day? Well, uh, it goes back to the night before. Uh, there was a Friday, and I was uh, with some friends at my mother's house, and we were just sitting there watching game, eating and stuff like that. And we get, and I noticed that it's late, so I knew that I had to uh, speak to some kids at the uh, Harriet Tubman Museum, Tubman Museum that's in Macon. And I was doing that on the weekly. When I'm home, I try to do as much community service stuff as I could. Uh, just putting my name out there and saying, hey, you know, I care. So uh, we stayed up a little bit later. And that morning I woke up and I was late. I was already supposed to be there. And one of the things that my high school coach put into me is that don't you be late to any, anything. Never be late. Never be late. So I was already freaking out. And so I'm driving 70-something, I guess, going around like a bat out of hell. And I, 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 there was one particular turn I couldn't make. It just flipped the car over. And every time it flipped it over, it just kind of broke my arm in a different spot. So that was four four breaks with my shoulder uh, broken, my rotator cuff, everything, and uh, my whole left side. So was there a moment as the car is flipping? I mean, are you? It, was it in slow motion, and you realize what's happening? And yeah. what's what are you thinking at that moment? Yeah, I, I was. It, it seemed like it was in slow motion, to be honest with you. But it flipped over like seven times. So I was, you know, flipping all over. I was thinking of my neck. I was hoping that I don't hear anything that, you know, would, you know, jeopardize my, my neck and my ability to walk. But uh, it was a break that came, that snapped in half out of the skin. So the bones were out of the skin. And I looked at it and I just fainted. I believe my arm was looking that way. And I fainted. And then they, they came and got him out of the car and stuff. So, but I couldn't believe it, man. I knew, I knew, I, and I had an extension on the table too. So I had a big time extension because I had played well the first year or two, a year and a half of, of Toronto. I had played well. So it was time. I would have been a part of that big, you know, uh, group that signed the, the nice mid level deals. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't get any of that. And, and that's fine. You know, I learned from a lot. And, well, and then you, you move on, you know, you, you try to make a comeback in the NBA, but your strength wasn't there until you go to Europe. So what type of transition is that like? Because now you're going to a foreign country and, I, you know, there's obviously you're missing out on the, the family and, uh, and environment yeah, yeah. that you had at Clemson, even your friends in the NBA. And now you're kind of on your own, mm-hmm. so to speak, in, in these foreign countries. What was that transition like? Lonely, lonely, because um, you know, I, 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 you know, you never know that you'll be lonely in the NBA. It's so, it's so braggadocious that people, you know, they brag on what they have and what they do and all that. And you know, you think, you know, he's around family or whatever. But you know, I think you know, my family tried to come around as much as I, they could. I just think that's a crazy dynamic because, you know, you never know how lonely things get or bad things get when you're by yourself. So, I mean, it's just, it was just weird for me. But I, I, like I said, I had a lot to lean on. I had a lot of people to lean on, people that I could trust, and, you know, we go from there. So where were your best memories? Where did you have the most fun uh, playing? I'm going to say Toronto because uh, Damon, 
who eventually got traded, uh, Marcus Camby, Chauncey Billups, Walt Williams, Tracy Murray. Um, that's the happiest I've been on the ball court. Those guys. Yeah. Now, what about in Europe? Was there yeah. any particular place in Europe that you enjoyed more than the others? When we were in Spain, that was great. <laughs> Amsterdam, that was great. Well, those are two places that would stand out. Now, what about the whole coaching side of things? I- explain how, why coaching is, you know, something that you were w- wanting to focus on. Because in Europe, I mean, you were a player coach. Yeah, I was at one point. I was just a player at one point, then I became a player coach. I just think when you can transform the things you've learned over the years to some other kid and see him do well or she do well, I think that's the reward that I get out of that. You know, I mean, I, I know that people are not going to be happy all the time. You know, I know that, you know, especially when it's playing time and things like that. But, you know, all I want is normalcy. I want to be happy. I want people around me happy, you know. So from a basketball standpoint, yeah. what are you involved with these days? Uh, I got two teams on the on the Big Shots label. I got two teams, three teams actually are going to be playing in that. And just at my basketball school, you know, that's going pretty well. There's a lot of people getting better uh, from from that. And, uh, and just going from there, man, that's what I do every day. Yeah. Have you ever thought about what you'd be doing if you never played basketball? Uh, I don't. I, I can't imagine being around the game or not working the game. Somehow. Yeah, so it obviously means a lot to you, and that's that's the way I feel. Even though you know, again, I moved away from it, but I, I felt that I was always connected at some way. Um, yeah. that, that's why I'm, you know, enjoying doing this podcast. And one of the things I also ask everybody, Sharon, is just any words of wisdom or life advice that has meant a lot to you that you would like to share. Yeah. I'm going to say this, Richie, if if you have a passion for something and someone tells you they're not going to pay you for it, then still could still do it because, you know, that's just a blessing to the people you're helping. And if there's something that you're doing, you know, I mean, even if you're doing the pay, if you're doing what you love to do, it's not work. You know, if, you know, I love to be in the gym. That's not work for me. There are certain defining moments, no matter how big or how small they are, they can change your course, and it's no more evident than with Sharon's story, and obviously the car wreck that altered his course like no other. But there were other events as well, like his dad being killed the same day that he signed with Clemson, and again, that should have been one of the best days of his life. But he also has to deal with that tragic situation, and it just shows you how friends and family can help you through those tough times. And then he had to deal with the death of his grandmother when he first gets to Clemson, but it was, again, the support of that extended Clemson family that helped him through it. And it's great to hear that he's trying to do the same thing today with Clemson basketball players that we see on the court today. And also, just him being a guest on the podcast is just another example. When I saw Sharon, not too long ago at a Clemson basketball game and I told him what I was doing the first thing he said was count me in because we're family and remember I was part of the so-called support staff as a student manager for the team but Sharon always treated me as part of the team and it just reinforces that no matter how much time passes by what career paths you go what road you might go down but when you're part of a team that connection is always there Now that finishes episode 46, and remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. 
Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.